time again uh, and revisit. There are some things about uh, some things about our faith that we ought to revisit uh, and and not just leave it alone, not just let it be something that that we just teach on on very uh, few occasions, but these are things that we must know inside and out, and the Bible, the Word of God, certainly is cause for us to uh, to look deeply into uh, what it means to us. And so in these foundations, we were calling this foundations because that's exactly what this is, the very foundations of what we stand on, what we believe, what we uh, hold on to dearly, and in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 20, it tells us that we are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That these foundations are things, a foundation, when you look at a building, even this building that we are in right now, and it has a foundation, and without that foundation, it would crumble Without the foundation, uh, especially on the outer walls that even uh, go deeper into the ground, uh, without those footers, without the firm foundation, this would all come tumbling down if uh, over a course of time or any kind of natural disaster might come, if we're just, you know, just something small uh, would come, it could make everything just, uh, just be on shaky ground. And so, we need to make sure that our foundations are something that we do not stray from, something that we do not, uh, that we do not just take too lightly. But the foundations are the very things of the Word of God that, uh, everything else is built upon. And so, uh, here tonight we are going to study the Word of God, the Holy Bible. And, uh, I want to just start off, as I said, on a very Elementary basis, Bible 101. Uh, what is the Bible? And I suspect that everyone in here could answer this question, but, uh, the Bible itself is, uh, it's one book itself, but really it is a collection of 66 writings or 66 books that were written by at least 40 different writers covering approximately 4,000 years of human history. And so this is what we are looking at. We see even though it says 40 different writers, there's really only one author. There may have been 40 individuals or possibly even more than that that put pen to paper or pen to parchment, but there is only one author. It was all inspired by God. It was all breathed by God. It was the, the writing of man, but it was the authorship of God. And we see in Second Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 speak to, speaks to us of that fact. It says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And everything that we have in our scriptural text is by the inspiration of God. That word inspiration means it is breathed out by God. It's been spoken by God or, or given by God to mankind. And so all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. Perfect. Now when you see the word perfect in scripture... Uh, it usually doesn't mean what we would, we might think of as perfect, meaning absolutely no fault, but rather it is talking about that you may be matured, that maturity may take place. And of course, you are maturing towards perfection or maturing towards the faults coming away. But that, uh, think of this as, as you read the Word of God, it is maturing you. You're growing up. You're becoming more knowledgeable about the things of God. You're becoming more, uh, hopefully you are applying the word of God. And so you are becoming more, uh, more and more in God's image as you allow the word of God to change you. And it says, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, that it would change you to do all good works. And so 
we're going to revisit that scripture here in just a little bit. But uh, I, I do want to look at the breakdown of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have of the Old Testament, there are 39 books that are in that uh, in that first portion of our scriptural text. And that those 39 books, you could break them down into five categories. So there's really five categories. If you have a pen or a pencil, you can write these down in that in those blanks there. And the first category is the Pentateuch or the law. The Pentateuch meaning fivefold vessel. This is a, a Hebrew word meaning fivefold vessel, and it's the the first five books of your Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those books contain the law of God. This also uh, it's the book of beginnings. There's a lot. That Genesis covers. In fact, Genesis, the book of Genesis covers more of human history than I believe. I believe it's the rest of the books combined, but it's at least the most uh, of any book that is covered in the book of Genesis. And so you have, uh, you have a lot of history as well that's told in the book of Genesis, but, uh, but these five books are the books of law. Second category, and I'm kind of just going to, going to, Go quickly through all of this so that we can uh, get through this tonight. But in our second category of the Old Testament is uh, these books of history. These are the books that are telling the history of God's people, of the Israelites, the Hebrews. And it is, it is telling their history from the time that they cross over into the promised land all the way through the time when they, uh, they they distribute the land to all the, the tribes and then they eventually ask for a king and they, they get a king that is ruling over them and the kingdom then splits and, and you have all of that that's part of the history uh, books that, that we have here in these next few, uh, next few books of the Old Testament. And then after that we get the books of poetry, this portion of scripture that is poetry or wisdom literature. Poetry and wisdom literature. This is where you get Job. And Job may seem like very dense poetry, but it is a, a an old form of poetry in the, the format that it's written. And uh, we see also that could also be uh, tied into wisdom literature as well. Uh, learning about uh, what real wisdom is all about, and that's understanding that God is in control, and no matter what our circumstances may uh, may be, God is in control. Uh, better not dive into what these books mean, or else we're going to be here all night. So you have Job and Psalms, Proverbs, of course, wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These these books are uh, very beautiful and encouraging in in uh, many ways. Uh, to read these books. You have then the next portion of the Old Testament. That's the major prophets. These major prophets, they are uh, uh, major prophets. And then the next section is minor prophets. And the major prophets aren't necessarily any more important than the minor prophets. But they are larger books. And so you have these major prophets that uh, they have very lengthy books. And they're they're prophesying things that are for the people of that day, they are literal men that would go and and God has called them to speak words of prophecy to the people of Israel or the people of Judah, uh, sometimes even uh, nations outside uh, such as the Ninevites or uh, uh, Ammonites. You have some of these other prophecies that are outside of Israel that they are to go to and, and they write their books to them, but they, uh, they are these these major prophets are very large books, and it's not just to those people of that day, but they also extend even into end time prophecy, things that have not yet come to pass. Daniel has much much of that much of that text is is end time prophecy that is still yeah, yet to come to pass, and so we have these these categories that we could put the the Old Testament into. Uh, It's not necessarily written in a chronological order, but rather it's categorized. And uh, 
somewhat chronological within those categories. You get into the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have 27 books, the first four of which are, uh, are about the life, the birth, and the life, and the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the Gospels, the Good News, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These books are all about that, and these, uh, these are the Gospel books. And so you have that category. The next category really is just one book. And uh, label it history here. Uh, you might just call it what that one book is. It's the book of Acts, the actions of the church, the history of the church. And so this is uh, a category unto itself. And then uh, in that book, you see a lot of churches start. Uh, you see the ministry of Paul and Peter. And uh, you see, see much of their ministry as they're going. They're starting churches all throughout that uh, that region. And then... And then you have two different categories that we have here of epistles or letters that are written to those churches that were established in the book of Acts. The first category here is the Pauline epistles or epistles, letters that were written by the Apostle Paul. Pauline epistles. These are uh, his letters that he's either writing to the church and you might have uh, letters like the Romans to the Roman church, Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, two different letters that he wrote to the church that was there in Corinth, uh, the churches that are in Galatia, which is an area uh, that he has a letter that's written to them. Uh, or you, you might get into other Pauline epistles such as Timothy or Titus, uh, Philemon. These epistles also are Pauline epistles, but they're written to these individuals. They're written, uh, addressed to this young man, Timothy, or to Titus, or to this young man, Philemon. And they are addressing these individuals, but also uh, they are for our benefit. We get to glean from these letters that were inspired by God, but written for uh, people of that day and age. And then you get into another category of epistles, these letters that are general epistles written by other individuals. We don't necessarily know the author of some of them, uh, such as the book, book of Hebrews, it is not given the authorship, so we could guess as to who the author is, but we don't know for certain who the author of the book of Hebrews is. Uh, some do say it is Paul, and so then in that sense it would fall under Pauline, but um, it has a lot of reasons why it may not be Paul. One major reason is that every other book of Paul, he addresses it from himself, and in Hebrews he does not. Uh, but you have James and Peter and John, these other disciples who write, uh, who they write these letters that are included. And so then we finish off in this category. Again, just one book that would finish this, these categories of the New Testament. It's this book of prophecy. Or again, you could just categorize it by the name of the book. It's the book of Revelation. And these are, this is a revelation. It's, it's an apocalyptic text. Uh, it was, it starts off addressing churches of that day, but it's apocalyptic in nature, meaning that these are things that will happen at the end times. And so we have, uh, we have these, this book of prophecy that we are left with in the New Testament. And so I, I just wanted to, to lay this out as our foundation of what the Word of God is. It's amazing as you see, uh, as you see these books and you read through the Word of God that all of these things, even though they're written by 40 or more author or 40 or more writers, they all fit together so beautifully. I, I should have, it just came to mind this, this chart, but perhaps some of you have seen it, um, recently on social media, uh, the, the, all the references that are in scripture. And, uh, it's, it's amazing to see the cross references from one text to another and, and it's millions of, of times that that there are cross references from scripture that from one thing to uh, from one book to another thousands of years where they are spanning time and and they are uh, and how it's all knit together how everything works together and so the word of God it's it is even though um, made up of these many different parts it is one book that we have and it's what well, such a treasure. What a treasure it is today 
for us to be able to hold in our hands something that for the majority of human history, very few had access. Very few people have had access to this right here. Even today, even today, though this is the best-selling book of all time, even today there are millions, perhaps a billion, over a billion people that still do not have access to the Word of God. I was, I was in a car, um, on a long drive yesterday. I had to go down to Evansville and I was traveling with a friend of mine and, uh, we began talking about the, uh, population of the world and he's, uh, he's had an opportunity to travel abroad. His, his, his grandfather was a missionary and, uh, was missionary for, uh, for nine years in China. Um, of course, not sanctioned to do so, but, uh, he's, he's had an opportunity to go with his grandfather over to China and, uh, yeah, talking about, he said, you know, the second largest city in the world is a city that hardly anybody even knows about. Probably don't even know the name of it. And it's because it's, it's in China and he said he, he's been to the city. Uh, can't, he didn't go in. It's dangerous to kind of, to enter into the city, but it's, uh, it's a city of, um, over 40 million people, I'm sorry, uh, 34 million people uh, in this city in China. I believe this name of it's Gangzhou, uh, but it's a city in which uh, in which it is where, with the one-child policy, they have uh, it's it's a refugee city where, with the one-child policy, that if you have another child, these families they'll just send instead of killing their chi- children, they'll just send them to this city or they they perhaps some of them their the whole family will move there and and so it's it's not even uh most of these individuals that are there are not even counted uh you have a very large population that's there but it's a tent city it's a it's a city where it's just a slum he said it's just trash heaps for miles and miles he said it's amazing how big this city is and we just began talking about how in the world do you get the word of god how do you get the gospel to those people. How, how is it going to happen? How can we get the gospel into a place like that? And while I may not have the answers, what I do believe is that the word of God can transcend whatever we think is humanly possible. It can transcend the things that, that we think that, uh, we'd be amazed to know that, uh, we, I, in fact, our, our conversation went there with my, my friend we, as we were in the car began talking about his grandfather going into a country that had never been opened up to uh up to this uh this gospel message it was uh, in fact we have had an, an evangelist here uh missionary here uh to Azerbaijan uh but his grandfather had had gone there in years past and as they traveled into that land they got there and uh encountered a christian that was there in this Muslim nation where it's illegal to be a Christian. And, uh, and lo and behold, there were people there that were filled with the Holy Ghost, that baptized in Jesus' name, that they encountered there. And they said, how in the world? We, before we even got here, God already had a people. God already had people here that heard, that knew the Word of God, that were, that, that were filled with the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues, that they were baptizing in Jesus' name. It wasn't a large church. It was an underground church. But but there were people there. And uh, I don't even remember how I got on this. But uh, um, but there is a, there are, there, this word of God, it is powerful. It is a, it is powerful beyond what we are capable of doing. Uh, it is, um, it can transcend culture, transcend time, transcend uh uh, into into places, uh, socioeconomic places, it, it can speak to everyone. Amen. As we look at this next section of our notes here, it says lost in translation. As that question there, lost in translation. And I uh, just want to look at, you know, what, we have this question that, that perhaps comes up uh, if you've ever talked to somebody who's not a Christian Maybe even just somebody who is a Christian, but they're still skeptical. Uh, they, 
begin to wonder, well, you know, what's, how do we know that what we have today is actually true or it's actually consistent with what was originally the Word of God? And that's a good question to ask. It's a great question to ask. Um, I'm thankful that uh, that we do have some answers to that. I can't say that, uh, that it will convince absolutely everybody. You still have to have faith to believe that what we have here is the Word of God. It still requires faith, but there is uh, very much a, uh, a historical tradition that was, and I say that in the best sense of, of that history, uh, history proves that, that they uh, had a tradition of being very, very, very careful with how they handed down the text and how they would copy the manuscript um, that was given. The very first individual to record the Word of God, the very first writer, the one who wrote the Pentateuch, these first five books of the Bible, was the man Moses. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 24 through 26, that um, you see Moses here. It says, it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book till they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. That he wrote down the word of God as God gave him these things. And you had, of course, this practice of oral tradition, that uh, of orally telling these stories all the way from Adam to, to Moses. And uh, if you look at the generations or the lifespan of individuals of that time, you can go in just five generations or five people because they live for so long, because Adam lived so long and then his children lived so long. You can go just five, between five people from Adam to Moses. And so to get the story of creation, it only took five people to go from Adam to Moses. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, from, from Adam to Abraham, not to Moses, from Adam to Abraham. And so five people to go from Adam to Abraham. And so in that, there really was um, was still, even from Abraham to Moses, was not very many, uh, very many individuals. And so uh, we have these, these stories from creation that could have been told verbally uh, just from one generation to the next and because of the long lifespan that they had. But whether or not it was verbal or it was or even if it was verbal, that, that's amazing to see that it really was, was that few of, of generations. But knowing that it was the Word of God, that God spoke to Moses, and Moses wrote as God revealed to him the very things of creation, and God revealed to him the things that, uh, that, he, would, uh, that he was supposed to write in the law of God. Uh, he then wrote that down, and it was... It was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And then you have the scribes, these Hebrews, who they would keep this text. And as I said, it was very important for them to make sure that it stayed accurate. And so every letter of the original manuscript was to be counted as they would physically handwrite this. They would count every single letter. They would check it to make sure that it matched Every word had to be verbalized before they wrote it down. They had to speak it out as they were writing it. Nothing was to be written from memory. Every copy had to be reviewed within 30 days of completion. And if as many as three pages required corrections, even just little small corrections, such as, uh, such as just a, a dot on the eye, or um, it didn't have an eye like we do, but uh, you know, just a little dot or tittle, as uh, which were marks uh, of the the Hebrew um, Hebrew language. If you had just these little things, these the entire manuscript would be destroyed. And so they were very meticulous about making sure that what they were passing down from generation to generation, it was the same. It was not to be changed. 
And so with these laws of the scribes, these guidelines for the scribes, uh, they uh, were able to keep that original text to be uh, very, very, very close to the original. If there were ever any changes, then it, uh, uh, I, I don't even know how, how a change would have been made within this, uh, be, uh, with the uh, guidelines that they had for the Old Testament scribes. But we still have the question, should we trust the Bible? Today, you know, I'm sure you have people, again, that ask that question, should we trust the Bible? And I would say that there are many reasons to trust the Bible. One is that the Bible, it answers the most important questions that all people should ask themselves at some point in time. All people do ask themselves these questions. Like, how did I get here? I'm not going to, I'm sorry, you probably put in all these scriptures in your, uh, in the media tonight, but we're not going to go through all these. But how did I get here? It tells us how we got here. Who am I? It tells us who we are, that we are made in the image of God, that what should I do with my life? We are given the question, the, the answers to these questions. Is there something after this, after life? What, what is going on that, you know, these are, you would expect something that is divine, something that is the holy text to answer these kind of questions, to give an answer to this, something that doesn't just come from human, uh, from a human point of view, something that comes from a, an eternal God. It ought to answer these questions, and it does. Should we trust the Bible? Well, we should also know that the Bible, it works. The book of Psalm not chapter 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. If you live your life according to Scripture, if you live your life according to the Word of God, it works. Your life will be better for it. It, it, it absolutely works. 2 Timothy 3.15, The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, that there is a, uh, a salvation factor. And, and some may say, well, how do you know until you pass away? How do you know that you're saved? I know because I've been set free from the bondage. I've been set free from the, from the old life of sin. Uh, that, that salvation, yes, it is future, but it's also present in my life right now. I have been saved from the bondage of sin. I've been saved. And so uh, it absolutely works. The Word of God works. It has and it will continue to survive the times. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, talks about how the Word of our God shall stand forever. That the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Other things, they may fade away. Other things may go, go by the wayside, but the Word of God is going to stand Matthew 24, verse 35, my words shall by no means pass away. That this word of God, it's, it's going to stand the test of time. And we've seen that um, come to pass, that this word of God has stood the test of time. We see also, should we trust the Bible? Well, it does. Uh, we do see the fulfillment of prophecy that takes place uh, in the Bible. And still seeing prophecies fulfilled from the scriptural text. Uh, there are 2,500 prophecies around, it's not exactly, but around 2,500 prophecies that we see in the Bible. 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled. Jesus Christ himself, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies during his time on earth. You have just a few of them here, where his birthplace was prophesied in Micah, that he would be born in Bethlehem. That took That happened. His manner of birth, that he would come as a lowly servant, uh, we see that prophesied of. His mission was prophesied of in Isaiah, and he, he fulfills that. His, his style of teaching that he taught in parables uh, that would not be understood by everybody is prophesied of. Uh, his rejection, the fact that even somebody so close to him, uh, we see that, see that uh, prophesied of in Isaiah and uh, fulfilled as Judas rejects Jesus, or even even the people, um, his own people, reject him. But then, uh, I guess another prophecy where Judas betrays him, 
You see uh, in the book of Psalms where it prophesies his death. Uh, of course, that is fulfilled uh, on the cross. You see, uh, again, in the book of Psalms, his resurrection is prophesied of. His resurrection takes place. He fulfills that. You see, uh, as I said, there's only a few, but there's 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled uh, during his ministry. And so these are all reasons, and we could point to more reasons, but these are all reasons why I trust the Bible. Reasons why I think and believe wholeheartedly that this is a trustworthy source. You could, uh, you could, you could point to other, uh, old texts, other very old, uh, manuscripts and, and look at them, uh, such as the Iliad or the Odyssey, these, these books by Homer, uh, very old, ancient, ancient texts, uh, Beowulf, these, these ancient texts. And, and look at them. And people, they, they, they read them today and, uh, they believe, you know, not that they believe it's a holy text, any of that, but they, they look at these and, and say, wow, I mean, this is amazing to read something so old. But the oldest manuscript that they have is nowhere close to the oldest manuscripts of the Bible that we have. And the number of them that we have of, of the Bible, uh, where they come and they, you, you put them together and you see how consistent it is, is absolutely amazing that the Bible as a, uh, as the Word of God has been, uh, has been preserved throughout time. But I wanna, I wanna continue diving into the Word of God because it's not, uh, I don't believe that tonight it was my job to convince you of the truth of the Bible, the trustworthiness of the Bible. I believe that you're already convinced of that, though it does help for us to uh, be equipped uh, for conversation of others uh, to to know, you know, why do we trust the Bible? Uh, but I do want to get into uh, look, looking at the Word of God at work. The Word of God at work in my life right now. Book of Psalms, chapter 119, this whole chapter, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It is uh, all about the Word of God, just that, uh, that one chapter is. And in verse 105, it tells us that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible is like a lamp that shines in the path in front of me, that as I walk, it does, it's, it's not the bright headlights on my car. It's not, it's not the sunlight that's lighting up everything that I can see as far as I look. But it's a lamp. And it shines just enough for me to be able to see where I'm going right now. And when I get to the end of, uh, of walking as far as I can see right now, I, I get there and there's more light as long as I keep in the Word of God. As long as I hold tight to the Word of God, then the Word of God continues to be that lamp that's lighting up my path for where I ought to go. And so the Word of God is this thing that's enlightening me. It's giving me direction. It's my GPS system that's that's showing me where to go. It's lighting up my path. It's causing me to not stumble and fall. But we all ought to ask this question. What is... It says here, what is your relationship? Really, we ought to ask this question. What is my relationship with the Word of God? What is my relationship with the Word of God? I'm not really worried about the person sitting next to me. I want to know what is my relationship with the Word of God? Huh? What am I doing to allow the Word of God to affect me? I'm going to revisit that one scripture that we pointed to at the beginning in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says here that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable. Okay, so here we're looking at the word of God at work. It's profitable for these things. It says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And so you have those four boxes that are there under that. And you see those four things that Second Timothy tells us uh, the, the Word of God is profitable for. It's profitable for these four things. You have doctrine. 
What is doctrine? Doctrine is simply what to believe. Doctrine is the prescriptive things that we ought to believe. It's the, it's the word of God that's teaching us what to believe. These are the things that you ought to hold tight to, things that, that of your own self you would not know or you would not believe them. But, but God is revealing things to you. Doctrine is revealed by God. It's not just something that we learn of ourselves, but it's revealed by God. Uh, it can be revealed just straight through the text. Uh, but it is, uh, doctrine is what to believe. If you look down, you have reproof. And reproof is what not to believe. There's times that you come upon scriptures that it's not telling you what to believe, but rather it's telling you, hey, steer clear of this. Don't believe this. There's even times where it's not, um, where it's not, uh, you know, just straight out telling you that, but it's a story of, of an individual. I'll just point, um, pick one out. You have David up on the rooftop. And David is up on the rooftop. He starts lusting after his neighbor who's over there and calls for her and, and they uh, sleep together. And, and this is, this is a story that is telling us, hey, don't, uh, you know, I, I should, probably shouldn't have picked that one. That one's actually more correction. Uh, that's how not to behave. Uh, I should have picked a different example for reproof, but, uh, but you have, you have, uh, things in, uh, in the scripture that's telling you, hey, don't believe this. Don't believe this. So you have doctrine, you have reproof, you have instruction in righteousness. This instruction in righteousness is not necessarily about belief, but it's more about behavior. How do you behave? There's certain ways that we ought to behave as the children of God. And so as you read through scripture, instruction in righteousness is all about our behavior and how we ought to behave. Whereas on the other end, you have correction, which is how not to behave. Just give that example. The example of David. This is how you ought not behave. It gives us these examples of how not to behave. You have other uh, examples of how to behave. You look, uh, you look many times at, uh, these stories that, uh, that we see people that, uh, live out, um, live out their faith and, and those are given to us for instruction of how to behave. Believe God. Trust God. Believe that what He says is gonna, it's gonna come to pass. Hold, hold tight to that. Uh, these are examples for us on how to behave. And so, uh, as you read through the Word of God, I, I know that, um, that there's many in here, and, and I don't want to, um, downgrade this at all, but, uh, there's many in here that you have daily Bible plans that you read. And, uh, as you do so, you'll, you'll check it off. And, and I'll, I'll do this myself. You know, just check it off my, my time and it's, uh, you know, reading, reading this text or it might be on your phone that you're reading through it or listening to it, uh, whatever the case may be. And I, I believe all of that's instructive, that that's all good. Uh, but sometimes, uh, not sometimes, uh, I should say oftentimes, what we should do is go a little slower and allow the word of God to be digested in a little better manner. You read and pause, and reflect, and say, what is this trying to teach me? Is this text that I just read here, is this doctrine? Is this teaching me what to believe? Is this reproof? Is this teaching me what not to believe here? Is this, is this about my behavior? Is this instruction of how I ought to behave? Or perhaps it's, it's correcting my behaviors and and, uh, you know, what, what is this text here teaching me? And, uh, and it's, it's good. We ought to do that. If there's, uh, sometimes people, they'll, you know, they'll give the excuse to say, well, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand the things that I'm reading. And, uh, I understand that it, it can be confusing at times, but, uh, when you are, uh, if you were in school and you have something that you don't understand, you get other resources, or you study deeper. You you look. You don't just give up. You you continue looking. You continue studying. And if there's something that is the word of God, something that is 
so crucial to what, uh, what we are uh, here for and what our eternal life is dependent upon. Uh, don't give up on it. Let's dive deeper into it. Let's ask. Let's, let's receive from, from God um, the, the fullness and the richness of what He has for us. And so, uh, and so let's dive into it and, and, and try to get, get, get a good commentary or a good study Bible that, is, that can explain some of the things that you have in your text. We'll go even at the end of this Bible study. Um, uh, just looking at some different versions of the Bible that that you could look at if you are being confused just by the the verbiage of of your uh, version that you are using. Uh, there's there's other ways to look at it. Don't be, don't just leave it because you're confused. Dive into it. Let the Word of God speak to you. First Corinthians chapter ten verse eleven says, "All these things happened to them." For examples, or for examples. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. It's a really key reason here that it, or it's telling us to, to read the Bible. Read your Bible. It says, he, he's speaking of, of, of all the people in the, the Old Testament. He says, all of that, uh, the, the life and times of the of the Israelites, all of that, it, it happened to them for an example for us so that we can learn, so that we're not walking around in, this, in the wilderness like they were for 40 years. We're not wasting our life away. It's, it's given to us as an example so that we don't follow that behavior. We don't believe the same things that they believed. And it's written for our admonition. It's, 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 it's written down in the scriptures so that we can be instructed to do better. Why? Because the ends of the world are coming. We are living in the last time. We don't have much time left. So we better read the word of God and let it admonish us and be an example to us for what we ought to do or what we ought not to do. Amen. We have this one page left, just a couple of minutes as we wrap this up here tonight. Uh, speaking on the Word of God. There's there's two different Hebrew words, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Greek words, that are translated uh, into the word, word, the Word of God. The one is logos, and this is a Greek word that is generally referring to the totality of the Word of God. It's the knowledge of God. It's, it's speaking of everything of God that He has to offer. And uh, this is... Uh, speaking of the, the, the knowledge of God, the logos of God, the word of God, everything in total given to us. It's also speaking of Jesus Christ. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. This is speaking of logos. The, the logos was with God. The logos was God. And the word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. It's verse 14. Of, of John, uh, and, and it says, the Word became flesh, that's Logos, the totality of God became flesh, and it dwelt among us, which was Jesus Christ, and so you have the totality of the Word of God, that is the Logos, but you also have the Rhema Word, this is this other Greek, uh, Greek word that is, is used that focuses on a specific word, or a, a, a word for the exact time and place that you are at. A precise direction of Scripture that is for a particular person or a circumstance that you're going through. You may receive a rhema word from God in your prayer time. A, a word of God that he's, he's speaking to you. And uh, it, it may be a Scripture that God is bringing to mind as a rhema word for you. For the time and place that you're at right now. It may be uh, just, just a, a word that's, uh, that's backed up by Scripture but it's not a Scripture. Uh, that's coming to you during a, a time of prayer. And it's a rhema word. Maybe maybe God is speaking through the gifts of the Spirit. And, and you hear the rhema word of God. You have a tongues and interpretation that will take place in a service here. That's the rhema word of God. It's a word from God that is for this particular time in this particular place. It's the rhema word of God. And it is something that we ought to have both of these uh, active for our, in our lives. 
The church is benefited through both the logos and the rhema word of God. That both of them must be uh, active amongst the church. The living, uh, living out the word of God today is something that we ought to do. It's something that is crucial for us. James chapter 1 tell, instructs us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you're just a, just a hearer of the word, then you're deceiving yourself. It's only when you're a doer of the word that anything good is actually going to happen. So be a doer of the word. Don't be like the one who is looking in a mirror and you see how much of a mess you are and you walk away without doing anything about it. He says, if you do that, then you're just a hearer of the word. But if you are a doer of the word, then you look in the mirror, you see that you got the bedhead and you've got an unshaven face, all this, and, and you look bad and it's like, I need to clean myself up. I need to clean myself up. I'm not going to go out in public looking like this. I gotta, I'm not going to go out in public just looking like a, looking like a mess. I, I need to go out and look presentable. And so you, you clean yourself up and, and, and you do that because you're a doer of the word. You must preach the word of God, but we also must live the word of God. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. I love seeing this New Testament trend. That, uh, that we see in scripture. Uh, again, I'm not gonna point to each of these scriptures. You have them there for your reference, for your own study. But, uh, we see in the New Testament that as the word multiplied, the church multiplied. That the word of God increased in Mark 16, 20. The word of God increased and the church increased. And, and, and Acts 12, 24, the, the word of God is increasing. The church is increasing. As the word of God began to multiply, the church multiplied. As you saw the word, the people get into the word and the people allow the word to be spread, then the church spread right along with it. The word is powerful. The word is powerful. The only thing that can limit the word of God is us because God has given us choice. And you can have unbelief. Unbelief can limit the word of God. It's in Hebrews 4.12 that says that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing divider, uh, dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, powerful. It can, it can change anything, but... Just 10 verses before that, it talks about how the word was ineffective because the people didn't believe. And if people don't believe, then it's ineffective. So it may be powerful, but without belief, it can't actually do anything. It may be powerful, but without you accepting this as the word of God and becoming a doer of the word of God, it's ineffective for you. You need to be a doer of the word and you need to have belief. First Thessalonians tells us that it is the Holy Ghost that allows us to uh, allows us to to have full understanding of the Word of God and see the application of that come to life in us. And so, it's through the Word and the Spirit that we truly uh, see how powerful the Word of God is. Now, the Rama Word is our sword of the Spirit. The Rama Word is that very thing that in your in your daily life, your spiritual struggles that you're going through, allowing the Word of God. This is Jesus pulling out scriptures for the time and place where he was at. The rhema Word of God was present for him right then. He's, he, he's not pointing just to himself when the temptation came, but he says, the Word of God says, the Word of God says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is written, that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus went to the word of God. This word that was for that moment right then where he was being tempted. And we ought to be able to do the same thing. Dive into the word of God. And as you do so, I promise you, you will see your own confidence in, in Christ. Own confidence in, in, in what you are facing what you're going through is going to skyrocket because the word of God, it will never fail. It will never fail. I'll leave us here. I guess, uh, well, I guess we have two things as we close this out tonight. Um, you have, as, as I was saying earlier, there is, um, if, you, if you are confused by the word of God, if you're confused as you're, as you're reading through scripture, 
doesn't make sense to you. Uh, I know that there are, there are some who say that the only thing that you should ever read is the King James Version of the Bible. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to tell somebody who that's the only thing that you ever read that, uh, that there's something wrong with that. If, 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 if that's uh, what you want to stick to, I am perfectly okay with the King James Version. That is what I uh, have right here in front of me. That is almost every Bible that I have that I own is King James Version. But there are other versions that can bring about a, a, an understanding of Scripture in a, um, in a way that the King James, it's, with its 400-plus-year-old vernacular, gets rather confusing at times. And so uh, having some other translations to get an understanding of what it's saying, I believe, is very helpful. And so there is a continuum, and this is only a few of the translations that are out there. There's many more than what we have listed here. But there's a continuum of different versions and how translations come about, or how, how translations are, uh, how, we, how they, uh, I guess the thought process behind them when the translators are, are bringing these into the English language. And the one... Uh, we see on on the left side of that spectrum is word for word, a word for word, and and you have here King James version all the way to the left. You can even go further to the left, and there's some others. Uh, the the uh, NASB, the uh, North American uh, Standard, yes, thank you, Standard uh, Standard Bible. That um, that version is is even further to the left than the King James version as far as being word for word. Uh, you have others even that are further to the left. Um, as far as being a word-for-word word translation, you see um, it is. it wouldn't make sense to just take a Hebrew language and put an English word to that and keep the same sentence structure, structure because that's just not how languages work. And so there has to be sentence structure changes that take place and word-for-word uh, even even within that, you see some differences because of just how uh, how one language translates to another, and an understanding of of these older languages of how they they uh, are translated. Uh, you see some differences, and so that's where you see King James version or the ESV, the English Standard Version, or the the New King James Version. Um, these versions that come about that are on that side of the spectrum. You have in the middle there the thought for thought. So you take a thought that is there. It's in the original text, the Old Testament being in Hebrew, New Testament being in Greek. And you have the thought that's given. And that thought is then translated into English. And uh, here you have the NIV, uh, New, New International Version, or the NLT, the New Living Translation. Uh, I, uh, just to let you know for myself, I really enjoy, from my daily Bible reading, reading from the New Living Translation, say, uh, just, just flows uh, very nicely as far as having an understanding um, of what I'm reading and that, uh, in, in the way that I'm consuming uh, the Word of God in that context. If I'm studying, I'll typically go towards the King James Version. Um, but that is, uh, as far as just reading it on a daily basis, that New Living Translation of Thought for Thought, uh, you can really, uh, it's, it's a more modern translation that is uh, understanding. Uh, very uh, easily understood. You have on the far right there, paraphrasing. For myself, I am not fond of these translations, but uh, you get some very interesting uh, takes on Scripture. Uh, there is perhaps some, uh, perhaps some good that comes from them. Uh, but you have here the Good News Translation, the Message Version, the Living Bible. Uh, these are paraphrases. It's, uh, it's taking something and it's, it's really uh, bringing, bringing about some interesting ways to, uh, to try to, to take the, uh, the idioms that were, that were used and bring them into today's vernacular. Um, sometimes it, it seems a little wild when they do that. But it is a it is a way of of bringing the word of God into today's context for for modern uh, readers, and so you have many other Bibles, many other translations as as I said that are there. That I, I encourage you look into just look into. Uh, I'm not saying like look and read all of these, but look into how these came to came about. If you're interested in that, uh, I think it's I think it's healthy to look. How did these translations come about? 
And so I'll leave us here with this, and it's, it's not in your notes tonight, but I have one more slide that is, I think there's one more. We have that one last slide on the base text. There we go. Base text for English translations. And so you have these base texts that, uh, that these English translations are based on. Um, and uh, the King James Version, or for, rather should say um, for centuries, uh, the, the one text that was given, the one manuscript uh, that, that we had was the Textus Receptus, uh, which simply means received text. It was this text that was uh, a, a handwritten Greek manuscript by Erasmus. Uh, he was a 15th century Dutch uh, scholar that had uh, that had handwritten. They didn't have the printing press at that time, uh, but he had taken the uh, the Hebrew and and the Greek um, text of that day, and he had uh, handwritten that. And it was a he put it all together uh, because these were all separate manuscripts. Um, he wasn't the first one to do it. It's not that it was first compiled by him, but uh, this uh, received text that he had is what the King James Version, New King James Version are based on. It is, as you look back, very, uh, very close to um, what we have recovered from like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, all, none of that was uh, had been discovered uh, at the time of this, but those those scrolls do prove the... the um, how accurate these texts are. The main, the main differences here are in the Greek text or the New Testament because they didn't have as much, uh, they didn't have as much focus as the uh, Old Testament scribes did, and when they were taking, uh, translating, or as they were copying from one text to the next, and so you have some differences, and that's where you get the critical text. The critical text is the compilation of Greek texts that are attempting to get as close to the original as possible. They'll look at the the old te- uh, all of these pieces of manuscripts of the New Testament, and they uh, I'm not diving into. I'm just barely giving a skim, uh, just a surface level um, study of these three things here. But the critical text, uh, they have different ways that they study the text, uh, and they they try. Their goal is to get back as close to the original and piece together. Well, if this little piece that we have here that's dated 200 years older than what we have here in the Textus Receptus, if that doesn't have this scripture, why? And if you have five of these texts that are from right around that date that don't have that word in that scripture uh, of the New Testament, then, you know, why is that? You know, and so they would, they would take uh, some scriptures out uh, because in older manuscripts that have been found, those scriptures were not present. And there's only a few circumstances where that's the case, but, but you have the reason, uh, that's, that's how you get the critical text. They're trying to get as close to the original as possible. And this is the basis for most modern English translations today. So perhaps you've seen at times um, those certain scriptures, that I don't have them written down here, but um, you'll see where it's like, go to the NIV and uh, go to this scripture. Oh, wait a minute, it's not there. Oh, they took this scripture out. The reason that they took that out is because the critical text, when you go to these older manuscripts that have been uncovered, that are hundreds of years older than what the text that the King James Version is based on, those scriptures, that's, that's what that, those translations are based on, is the critical text, which is this compilation of, um, of those, those uh, writings or those manuscripts. Then you have the majority text, which really is just another um, uh, another section of the critical text. And this is the Byzantine text is another name for it. And this is uh, simply looking at uh, just the majority. They, they don't necessarily go back to the oldest. They just look at, uh, they, they look at critical text, critical um, theory, or textual criticism. Look at this uh, by saying, what do the majority of texts have it as? And, and that's what we're going to base uh, our new... new uh, Testament on. And so all of this, there's very, still very few differences in, uh, as you get these three different manuscripts. But I just wanted to point these out here tonight for our study. As I said, we went from the very basic to something that's a little deeper. Maybe you don't, maybe you've never studied these three things. Uh, and it's not my goal here tonight to, uh, 
sow seeds of doubt. My goal is for, for you to be aware as other people may say, well, why this or why that? And they may bring this up. Uh, if you are, if you are KJV only, uh, or, or you just don't understand why there is a difference in some of, of the translations, this is the reason that there's a difference because you have some different ways that uh, we have gone about uh, or scholars have gone about uh, trying to get back to the original text of the new li- uh, of the the New Testament text, and so there are some differences there uh, in the manuscripts that these versions are based off of. And so, again, I encourage you. Um, we can have some more conversation on this if that's something that you're interested in. I could point you to some uh, some books if you really want a great conversation. Uh, you can talk to uh, brother uh, brother Yader. Uh, this is something that uh, that he. Um, has very, very much knowledge, studied this, uh, as very knowledgeable of all of this right here. And, uh, and we can hook you up and you can have a great conversation with him. But let's, uh, let's close this out tonight. Uh, I, I know that tonight this may not be leading into some great prayer time, but, but I still think it's a good idea for us as long as we're gathered. Let's just stand and let's pray. And as we pray, uh, Brad